0: It's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia And today on The Potty, I am talking to Dr. Charles Brenner. If anyone is or has been interested in the area of anti-aging, of longevity, knows anything about the supplement Niogen, then this guy is responsible for providing us so much information in this area. His lab was responsible for discovering the nicotinamide riboside NR to be a vital precursor to or of nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide or the NAD plus pathway in the body. Now nicotinamide riboside or NR is converted by the body into NAD and that's an essential molecule found in every living cell and plays a significant role in energy production, regulation of circadian rhythm and cognitive function. Dr Brenner's work really brought this information sort of to the forefront of scientific inquiry and now this has just blown up so much over the last few years bringing to market of a bunch of supplements which claim to be anti-aging and help in the process of aging. We talk a lot about this, so Dr. Brenner explains the significance of NAD and why he believes supplementation with NR, such as Trunigen, could help us age better, but he also elaborates on why he's not a big fan of it being labelled as a miraculous or magic pill, and we talk about those anti-aging claims in the marketing of human longevity and why he has a real problem with that. I was super stoked to be able to chat to Dr. Brenner about this topic and hopefully you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the conversation as well because there is so much information out there about the disease of ageing and we also talk about some of the problems associated with couching ageing as being a disease rather than this just general normal thing that happens to basically all of us. So, Dr. Charles Brenner is one of the world's leading authorities on biochemistry behind NR and its potential to extend life in some organisms. Dr. Brenner was the Roy J. Carver Chair and and Head of Biochemistry at the University of Iowa and the founding co-director of the University of Iowa Obesity Initiative. He's also chief scientific advisor to chromadex which is a california-based company behind the nr supplement True Nigen which you guys will probably be quite familiar with now though he is head of the alfred e mann family foundation in diabetes and cancer metabolism in the department of diabetes and cancer metabolism at the city of hope and that's a national cancer institute designated center and national leader in advancing research and treatment protocols in cancer and metabolism so his laboratory focuses on disturbances in the nad pathway as a central catalyst of metabolism in diseases and conditions of metabolic stress so he continues to research how this nad system is dysregulated as a function of postpartum coronavirus infection, inflammatory conditions, diabetes, and specific malignancies with the dual goals of defining mechanisms of biological regulation and developing safe preventative and therapeutic interventions for people. Now, don't worry too much or feel like there is a lot of scientific terminology that I just sort of describe what his work is based in because Dr Brenner does such a fabulous Job of translating it down into language that uh, we can all understand. Just before we jump into the podcast, I do just want to remind you that if you want to support the podcast, the best thing that you can do is subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That just increases the awareness of people to Wikipedia and allows the information to get out a little bit wider. And of course, you can also sign up to my recipe portal access, which for 12 bucks a month gives you access to my recipe library, of which there are over 800 recipes regularly updated. You get a weekly email from me access to a private members group and we have written forums weekly and regular facebook lives and the opportunity to pick my brain on anything nutrition related through our online platform messaging system for now though enjoy this conversation that i had with dr charles brenner Dr. Brenner, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me this morning. I really appreciate it, uh, particularly because I get a lot of questions in and around ageing, what we can do to help minimize the impact of ageing, but also, have I heard of Trunigen? What is NAD+, Plus? what is all of this stuff that people talk about? Can it extend our life? And I thought... Probably one of the best people that I could reach out to to talk about this is, of course, the man that discovered the NAD pathway, hence me reaching out to chat to you.
1: Okay, so thanks. I'm, I'm really flattered. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a biochemist. I work on NAD, stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, central catalyst of metabolism. Um, I discovered the the pathway by which one of the vitamin precursors of NAD called NR, nicotinamide riboside, is converted into NAD coenzymes.
0: Yeah, if I'm out there looking at the market and I'm seeing different types of products or uh, niacin-related supplements to take, it can be quite confusing. And um, I'd love to chat to you about Some of that down the line. But first, what I want to ask you, or what I've heard you say before, is that people have quite a narrow concept about metabolism and what it even is. So, can we even just start there and then you explain how NAD might fit into that?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad that you're not starting with what should I take and this kind of thing. (laughs) So, um, yeah, what is metabolism? So, uh, the way I describe uh, metabolism is it's the, all of the set of processes that converts everything that we eat into everything we are and everything that we do. So uh, we think of metabolism commonly as breaking down food into ATP, biological energy, right? But in fact, everything in our body, except maybe my glasses and if somebody has an artificial hip, um, was made by themselves, right? The Mm -hmm. lenses of their eye, um, their skin is constantly being regenerated. So we make everything, we repair everything. All of that is due to metabolic uh, processes. And essentially, it involves the flow of electrons, And the four critical electron carriers in biology are called NAD coenzymes, NAD+, NADH, NADP+, NADPH. All of them come under attack in conditions of metabolic stress. And that essentially is the use case of taking NAD precursor vitamins, whether they're the conventional B3s, niacin or nicotinamide or the one that that we discovered in 2004 and are
0: mm. and metabolic stress so I mean when we think about stress we think about things which are too many calories or excessive exercise but is it so much more than that
1: so those are those are two yeah most of the time uh, people say oh stress means I've got a you know, I've got a terrible deadline tomorrow, or I've got a difficult conversation with you know a person, person in my life. Those are those are stresses. But um, turns out that there's inevitable stresses of of life, including oxygen, mm. Mickey. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, we use electron as the ultimate electron acceptor, right? So NAD is an electron carrier in order to make ATP. The electrons actually flow all the way to oxygen generating H2O water. And in the course of that process called oxidative phosphorylation, you generate free radical species. So the Mm -hmm. fact that we live in oxygen means that there is reactive oxygen species stress. That turns out to tax uh, one of the NAD coenzymes, NADPH, right, which detoxifies. Free radicals. Um, Sufficient noise to produce hearing loss attacks the NAD system in in our hearing uh, systems. Um, DNA damage from the sun, you're Mm -hmm. in Australia, am I right?
0: So you're exposed to New Zealand,
1: sorry. Oh, terrible, terrible mistake (laughs) there. Kiwi, sorry. Um, Sufficient uh, sunlight to damage uh, DNA. Uh, taxes the NAD system because NAD is deployed to repair um, DNA. And then, as you said, overnutrition, overeating, we showed experimentally that that uh, depletes the NAD system in the liver. Alcohol metabolism depletes the mm-hmm. NAD system in the liver in a different way. So, um, a variety of normal types of, of things. Y- you mentioned exercise. You know, that probably disturbs the NAD system, but we're not experts in in how exactly that happens. But um, certainly the the inevitable stresses of life, as well as a number of disease processes in neurodegenerative processes, heart failure, uh, tax the NAD system. And so there are NAD precursors in the food that we eat, right? Mm. Because NAD coenzymes are the central catalysts of metabolism in all plants and animals and fungi. So every kind of minimally processed food that we eat has NAD precursors in it. Mm. But the amount of NAD precursors that we get from normal nutrition is often not enough. It's probably not optimized for really performance or optimal health. And so that's the use case for a supplement like NR.
0: And I always feel a bit sad when I think about oxidative stress because I've heard you on a number of podcasts and you've mentioned that listening to things loud enough to create hearing loss. And I and then you talk about sunlight. Then I think about listening to my favorite, like Bon Jovi greatest hits, in my ears whilst walking in the sun. And I'm like, I'm feeling exactly. really good, but <laughs> I'm totally you know you know you're you're, go to, you're
1: going out for a run, yeah. and uh, you're you're blasting Bon Jovi in, in the sunlight, but. You know you're wearing sunscreen. Am I right? Yeah, totally. Okay, so so that so that's important, right? Because um, it's those pyrimidine dimers, right? That that common type of uh, UV-induced DNA damage that will essentially tax the NAD system. NAD is deployed to mark the sites of. Of damage, mm. and when NAD is being used for those processes, it's not available to do all the other things that skin cells are supposed to do.
0: Doctor Brenner, you mentioned before that the NAD system in the liver is attacked under certain conditions. Mm. Does it make a difference? Is like, is it so? Is that more important than say NAD on the system in the skin, or have I got that wrong? So, so how do we differentiate that? How do we even know? What's important yeah, I mean, information the, for us to know? I suppose
1: the important for information for you know for healthy people, consumers, I think is to be aware that um, these are critical coenzymes for life, really in all tissues, mm. and there's you know potentially substantial benefit to um, supplementing with B threes. And and we can maybe talk about how the B threes are not identical to each other. So niacin um, mm-hmm. has been used by many people at, at, at quite high doses, so we know it's safe. And, it, and niacin at high dose has remarkable properties of lowering HDL cholesterol, so-called bad cholesterol, and elevating uh, HD, lowering LDL and raising HDL cholesterol. Raising good cholesterol, lowering bad cholesterol, lowering free fatty acids. But the um, use of niacin is limited by the flush reaction. Mm. So uh, when you take high dose niacin, you know, extremities get hot and red. And so nicotinamide riboside doesn't do that. Um, high dose nicotinamide, which is supplemented into a lot of of foodstuffs at lower doses. But high-dose nicotinamide um, inhibits a number of enzymes that we're trying to stimulate with NR. And so NR is a very attractive form of vitamin B3. We've also found that in some of the really acute conditions of metabolic stress, like heart failure in a mouse... You see the NR gene pathway get turned up. So Mm. when NAD is under attack, the NR uh, genes um, get turned up, indicating essentially that the stress cells are looking for NR in order to retain their their healthy levels of NAD in order to keep metabolism working.
0: Mm. Does that mean that someone who might have heart failure could benefit from? a um and in our supplementation, are we able to make that leap, or is that more of a sort of it's completely safe? there's no reason why not, but we can't definitively say that that would help.
1: Oh, I don't definitively say it because it, oh, no. you know it hasn't been clinically proven, right? Mm. so um it's, it's very hypothesis generating when you see something in a mouse, right, then it makes you want to do the, the, the clinical trials. Mm-hmm. And um, such clinical trials have been registered uh, largely at uh, University of Washington. They've shown not only um, safe availability of uh, NR in the context of cardiac patients, but they've also shown that um, blood cells from such people that were treated uh, showed anti-inflammatory effects. And so the, the trials that have been published look positive, but essentially, you know, the the technology that, that, that we developed, which are the nutritional and therapeutic uses of NR, Have been commercialized as a kind of wellness product, right? Mm -hmm. And so it says on the bottle, there's a blue bottle, right? It says not intended to treat a disease or condition, right? It's um, not making a specific uh, disease um, claim. Um, Those... But, it, you know, in, in the fullness of time, it may be that the most profound use cases of NR, particularly at high dose, by which I mean, you know, one uh, gram, one to two grams a day, mm. uh, may be in people with specific disease and conditions of metabolic stress. So fatty liver disease, for example, uh, heart failure, um, neuroprotection, whether it's chemotherapeutic neuropathy, diabetic neuropathy, Um, or, you know, central brain injury or ataxia, telangiectasia, those types of things. All of those trials are being done. None of those disease claims can be definitively be made. We don't like to get out ahead of our skis, but we can certainly state that in healthy as well as in all of the disease populations in which uh, NR, Niagen has been looked at, there have been basically no placebo-controlled safety concerns, mm-hmm. right? So if you you put, you know, hundreds of people on, um, you know, on a placebo and on, on, on a pill, you know, over the course of those, you know, thousands of observation days, somebody's going to have a tummy ache and somebody's going to have, you know, a, a headache or whatever. But when you look at the reported events in placebo and the reported events in whatever doses of, of active nr uh, they were taking you know we haven't seen any anything of of concern, so mm. we feel good about that, but we're not ready to make those disease claims
0: mm. it's like it's interesting even thinking about disease because for example, here in New Zealand, I think on the um, the front cover of the weekend magazine, it said that here are some i think it was something called two hoba and I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know if I've quite got that right. It's some sort of uh, compound that is appa- that is apparently supposed to work to reduce metabolic stress and aging. And in fact, the claim was that this could be the thing to cure the disease of aging. Dr. Brenner is hmm. like, how do you... Did uh, you like see that, the eye roll? Yeah, how, I felt I feel the eye roll <laughs> myself. Like Every time it grinds my gears that the disease of aging. Oh, Can boy. you sort of Chat to me about your thoughts on this. I'm case.
1: not a fan of that, you know, way of thinking. Mm. So, I, uh, you were all aging, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I believe that, um, fitness and function, um, are modifiable as we age. I think it's possible to, uh, age better. Um, when we started the, you know, the true Niagen brand, I agreed to say age better as a, you know, kind of a slogan of uh, associated with, with NR. But uh, I don't consider aging a disease. Aging is a risk factor for a wide variety of diseases, maybe the, the most powerful risk factor for the severity of disease, for the prevalence of, of disease. But uh, we are all, in fact, aging. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no convincing evidence that anybody's lived much beyond 120 uh, years. Um, I think healthier aging would mean more centenarians, more people getting close to 120 degrees and more people being fit and functional um, into their 80s, 90s, 100s and and beyond whether we can extend lifespan beyond that i have pretty serious doubts but whether more of us can get can be healthier longer i i'm confident that 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 we can but i personally don't consider aging to be a curse or a disease and uh, you know i i'm i just turned 60 i feel like i'm aging well i'm in a you know a a climbing gym, you know, mm-hmm. climbing with people, you know, half, half my age or, or, or le- you know, considerably less than a third of my age, actually. So, you know, I want to remain healthy and, and fit. Uh, but I'm not, I don't like the concept of anti-aging to me sounds like snake oil. It sounds mm-hmm. like a category of grift that doesn't produce evidence-based results and that produces a, a, a lot of promises that take people's money away and promise them things that, that, that can't be delivered.
0: Mm. And NR is often put into that longevity anti-aging camp. What is it about NAD which, um, what is the relationship between aging and our NAD levels?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So it's been widely reported that NAD declines in aging. Mm. Um, There are absolutely um, such observations, Um, but I'm not convinced that um, the cause of the decline was age as opposed to episodes of metabolic stress. One Mm. of the analogies that I give is that if if everybody knows somebody that has lots and lots of cats and in their in their home right and if you were to look at photographs of a cat owner over the the decades you might be able to order the photographs on the basis of in which photographs the person had the most scratches right but the scratches weren't caused by age, they were caused by cats. And so, um, in the tissues in which NAD has been reported to decline, for example, uh, the liver of a, of a mouse, there have been increasing episodes of metabolic stress. There have been episodes of infection and, you know, helminths and um, maybe um, exposure to weird uh, temperature changes or something like that. And I think that due to those episodes, the NAD system, you know, has been impaired or inflammatory processes have been activated. So I'm not certain that age is the timer that controls NAD. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't believe that it's been demonstrated in human systems that in all you know, tissues that the NAD system uh, declines, but it's certainly true that in a variety of inevitable metabolic stresses, the NAD system comes under attack. And so we go through these metabolic attacks over the course of of our life, over the course of time, and so, mm. you know, in the in the in the end, there may be strong correlations between age and NED status, just as there are correlations between fitness and every other aspect of metabolism. Our metabolism mm. clearly declines in aging, and um, we're. Using you know research methods to determine w- in which of those systems we can support our metabolism with supplemental nr as as we go through life
0: mm. it's so interesting so I guess is the longevity claim is that because nAD declines as we age, if we were to supplement with nr then that will uh, prevent the decline, therefore we will live longer without and is it yeah just and in- and
1: And there may be, you know, there may be some truth to that. I think that uh, what I think is that, you know, in the organ systems in which a person's NAD system uh, are under attack, which are going to be different for different people. You mm-hmm. know, somebody that works outside without a shirt on, you know, probably has aging skin and terrific musculature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that sits at a desk all day, you know, probably has aging, you know, eyes. And yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, other systems, you know, doing, doing better, right? And so... Um, the the idea is that you know supplementing with thing with precursors of coenzymes that are coming under attack can support resiliency mm. right and so that's a you know that's a testable hypothesis the lifespan piece is almost by definition not testable in anybody's lifespan right mm. so that's not the kind of experiment you know that that we can do in 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 a human uh, system, mm. so even the most enthusiastic uh, longevity programs, when you sc- scratch the surface and you look at the experiments that they actually test, they're 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 either using biomarkers that they think report on uh, lifespan, or they're re- they're looking at, um, you know, a specific you know condition of metabolic stress. But when we did, you know, when we did we did, you know, mouse heart failure, you know, mm. we didn't want to let the, the mice suffer and die, right? So we could have set it up as a lifespan experiment. And I could mm. I could be the person out, out there saying, you know, NR extended, you know, uh, lifespan. But In fact, by doing it the way we did, we figured out how it worked. We figured Mm. out the NR genes were being spiked up because the cardiac NED was coming down. We learned a whole lot more. But Mm. I don't. I guess I'm not that guy that gets out ahead of his skis and says everything is lifespan. Mm. And then, and then it turns out a lot of longevity labs are actually looking at restoration of vision or something very, very specific. Why they're Mm. saying that they're rejuvenating, I, I just don't understand. Other than it being very headline grabbing, um, Mm. but it's not evidence based.
0: So, what is it that we can definitively say about supplementing with NR for a or any um, uh, kind of derivative supplement for human health? So, what can I confidently tell people?
1: Yep, you can confidently tell people that um, the the you know the use case for for well, you know, niacin, if somebody has successfully used niacin to control their cholesterol, their blood lipids, and can manage the the flushing, that's great. Mm. Um, uh, a lot of people really can't uh, very well. And so it's, you know, statins are, you know, much more commonly prescribed. Um Although it's not really either or, you know, you could, mm. you could use uh, both because they're complementary. But the use case for, for NR um, is to try to maintain resiliency. Um, there have there been two or three completed clinical trials in which inflammatory markers have gone down mm-hmm. um, in human conditions, right? So in just normal, healthy uh, men... Uh, In Birmingham, UK, three weeks of taking uh, a gram a day of NR, they had lower inflammatory biomarkers, very safely tolerated. It was a small trial. Mm. There was a, a substantially larger trial in Sweden in which a cocktail of... Uh, over-the-counter supplements, including two grams a day of NR, mm. um, accelerated time to recovery of COVID, mm-hmm. um, placebo-controlled trial, um, standard of care were one or the other drugs that don't work very well. So mm. essentially, people were getting like hydroxychloroquine, which basically doesn't work, uh, plus or minus this nutritional cocktail that included NR. The Nutritional cocktail, including NR, substantially uh, accelerated time to recovery. Also, with a noted reduction of inflammatory biomarkers, Mm. right? And then there were women that were given NR that had an improvement in their body composition Mm -hmm. in about six weeks. Mm. And um, so, no weight loss, But in six weeks without exercise, you know, lower, basically higher lean mass, lower fat mass. Mm. And so to me, it looks like if you were to combine NR with exercise, which is like, That's standard of care, right, for healthy aging, is you eat as well as you can, you sleep as well as you can, and you try to stay as physically and mentally active as you can. So you do those things, and then if you were to add NR, you may even do better, Mm. right? So that's what the suggestions are from clinical trials to date. Mm -hmm. Um, There there are more clinical trials ongoing in order to try to definitively establish that NR alone has these activities. but I think that there's a strong use case for exercise with NR and good diet in order to maintain uh, resiliency as we age.
0: Mm. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the uh, the research in and around COVID, Dr. Brenner? So, um, are you? is it just been that one trial where it's been found to be successful? Have there been other trials or currently sort of going yeah. on now?
1: You know, so it's kind of, it's interesting because I was at University of Iowa Mm. um, for 11 years and um, one flight downstairs from us in the biochemistry department was Dan Perlman's group in the microbiology department um, where they were working on this little known class of viruses called beta coronaviruses. Mm. And we had data. You know, we had data, you know, it was one of those things that was kind of in a drawer. What do you do with this? These data showing that a murine, a mouse, a coronavirus um, infection led to a depressed NAD system. Mm -hmm. So we had those data for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, pandemic broke out and we kind of got the band together by... You know, Zoom, and um, said, you know, how do we take these data and take it further? And what we found that coronavirus infections, not only, you know, the mouse one, but human SARS-CoV-2 leads to an attack on the NAD system in a very interesting way. Mm. So it turns out that when the innate immune system gets activated, when the innate immune system sees double-stranded RNA. Mm-hmm. So that this is a RNA virus, right? Mm-hmm. It's positive stranded RNA virus. And it makes a double-stranded RNA intermediate. Mm. And when cells see that double-stranded RNA, this is even before there's an antigen-antibody interaction. But when Cells see the double-stranded RNA, they get excited, Mm -hmm. they make something called beta-interferon, and then the beta-interferon pathway leads them to make five different enzymes in the cells called PARP7, PARP9, PARP10, PARP12, PARP14. And these PARP enzymes attack NAD, Mm. and they do so in a way that's antiviral. Mm-hmm. So, the and it turns out we could show, you know, in this in vitro, this like kind of glassware cell culture system, that if we provided more NAD pre- precursors, there was an antiviral activity. Mm. We could basically, you know, slow replication. Mm-hmm. And so the clinical trialists, you know, saw those papers and um, they used NR initially in combination with other things. And now there's you know two or three additional trials being registered to look at the potential activity of NR or other NAD precursors as you know antivirals mm-hmm. and um, the way we think about it a higher NAD status could be preventative because it would allow the innate immune system to work better mm-hmm. so that the uh, cells, the initial responder cells that are seeing the virus for the first time, don't deplete their NAD and they're able to mount a strong antiviral response, uh, and as well as resolving the the infection, because as you probably know, Mickey, um, inflammation initially is a way the body's trying to help itself mm. but the persistent chronic inflammation is associated with a lot of disease process mm. and it's that inability to resolve what's called a cytokine storm yeah. that is right that is associated with covid hospitalization and a lot of the the bad long covid outcomes
0: mm. what do you hope is going to happen with this Trial information, Dr. Brenner, and I I guess I ask that because, you know, I see a lot of I see the reports related to vitamin D and how vitamin D status is really important or is potentially important, I'm sorry, for uh, reducing severity of disease outcomes and potentially being more resilient to infection in the first place. And I never see it go anywhere past like PubMed or the journals or the academics. And I never see it out there in sort of public health space. Like, do you? Right. Do you, what, right. What, and what I think
1: vitamin D research is tricky. Mm. It's confounded by a lot of things. Mm. Um, and I and I I'm I'm not you know fully qualified to to comment on on vitamin um, D status and, and supplementation, but. Um, I think that you know scientifically, this um, you know COVID attacks the NAD system is um, is pretty well established. Mm. I mean, we we just published that paper in full form. You know, I think December twenty fourth or something of twenty twenty. But um, it was out on the bioarchive for most, you know, probably half of 2020. It's already been cited, you know, 70 or 80 times. So it's been highly cited for something that's been out in final form less than a year. Mm. And it certainly led to at least, you know, three or four uh, clinical trials, you know, two of which have been completed. Mm -hmm. So... I think that this has a, a, a good chance of uh, altering standard of care. You know, nutraceuticals are kind of a funny space, right? Because they are actually monitored by the Food and Drug Administration, the US Food and Drug Administration. You can't say FDA without food, right? Mm-hmm. And supplements are in that bucket of food in addition to drugs that, that are um, that are observed and regulated. By the FDA, but the level of testing um, is much less for supplements that don't make a disease claim. For Mm. us to be able to make a disease claim, there has to be kind of larger trials that are absolutely placebo controlled and um, generally multi-site. I'm not involved in them, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I was an inventor and I have a relationship with company Chromadex that, that uh, commercialized uh, NR into Niagen. Um But we were excited to see a number of different groups get involved and see that the um, scientific data uh, and consider it, you know, valid enough to, you know, try to test the... The hypotheses in in a public health setting,
0: mm. and what are the other components, Doctor Brenner? Do you like are so you able to list them off? So, serine carnitine
1: or? and um, know. serine carnitine and maybe glycine. I'm I can't actually remember, but yeah. um, I have a I have a um a review coming out in Nature Metabolism very soon on. How uh, NAD is under attack in in viral, infe- in you know infection and inflammatory conditions. That kind of summarizes uh, the state of the art on this.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Dr. Brenner. Um, you mentioned chronic inflammation and you know the NAD system being um attacked under such a condition, which is of course sort of describing. The condition of, if I say 88% of kind of US citizens are apparently kind of metabolically impaired, if you like, or due to potentially lifestyle or whatever, be it high mm-hmm. cholesterol or stomach fat and that kind of thing. Um, and your you've recent, I don't know if it, is it quite recently or a year ago, you have taken a position with City of Hope where you're looking at sort of cancer and diabetes metabolism.
1: Right. So, so I was recruited to um, start and, and chair a, a new department of diabetes and cancer metabolism at mm-hmm. City of Hope. And so, you know, we have a comprehensive cancer center here, about two thirds of City of Hope researchers work on cancer. About a one third of the researchers here at City of Hope work on diabetes and metabolism. And they decided to create one last academic department that was going to try to do both. And so mm. I sort of consider um, cancer and diabetes to be two constellations of diseases of resource misallocation, mm. right? So cancer cells grabbing too much stuff to being too proliferative and, and being, you know, defective in in, in, in cell death and, um, you know, and, and diabetes being, you know, misregulating one of the central currencies of the body, namely glucose and um, as well as fatty acids. And we're basically hiring faculty here and, and building uh, faculty strength at the interfaces of, of diabetes and cancer.
0: Mm. How is NAD related to kind of cancer metabolism?
1: Dr. You know, So it turns out that there are a number of malignancies that disturb the NAD system. Mm-hmm. And um, a very close friend and collaborator, Ranjit Bindra, and I showed a couple of years ago that um, in uh, a terrible type of pediatric glioma called diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, that uh, the PPM1D oncogene disturbs the NAD system in such a way that we can kill those cells mm. by targeting NAD. There's other uh, types of immunological cancers in which you need uh, cytotoxic T cells to clean up tumors in which you know NAD precursors actually help the killing the cancer. So there's a lot of uh, you know interest in, at the interface of, of cancer and NAD. Cancer is not one disease, mm-hmm. so the way that we think about cancer is that you have to have a molecular f- fingerprint of it in order to come up with specific treatments. That said, um, NAD precursors have been broadly preventative. Uh, there was a very large... Australian on uh, uh, B3 trial, nicotinamide trial that showed that over years, you know, and I think with thousands or ten thousands of uh, people enrolled, that uh, people taking daily oral nicotinamide had uh, substantially lower skin cancer. Mm. So uh, we think that higher NAD status is going to be generally protective because of the you know anti-mutagenic effect of higher NAD status, that better DNA repair. But uh, in terms of cancer treatment, what we try to do is we try to look at you know what molecularly is going on in a tumor, and and often that that indicates a particular class of chemotherapy that 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 could in in fact target NAD.
0: Mm. I my skin cancer specialist who I see yearly he told me that actually last year that B3 um, you know if you see people who have like skin cancers for example um, or you know if I knew people who had skin cancers then I should suggest they might want to take a B3 because it's been found to be yeah. protective would NR work better in that space than just due to the, the form of the sort of niacin or... or yeah, so I can't, the...
1: I can't make that claim, you know, because no, it's I not know. been tested, yeah. you know, yeah. NR versus versus nicotinamide. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the common observation is that when a NAD comes under attack, it's the NR, NR pathway that gets turned up higher than the nicotinamide pathway. I could tell you that in the in the mouse heart failure model nicotinamide didn't work and mm-hmm. our did work again because of the genes difference between the availability of the different forms of vitamin B3 mm-hmm. um nicotinamide is is also in topical um, skin products you you'll see it called niacinamide or 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 B3 nicotinamide all of those mm-hmm. are the same thing and they're in they're in lots of of lotions and creams
0: mm-hmm. Cancer is so interesting, Dr. Brenner, just the way that you described it as being many different diseases. And, you know, you think sort of more broad, you think broadly and, you know, uh, like different um, kind of organs and then systemic and in and the blood and, and all the rest of it. But of course, you're talking about it from a molecular basis or a genetic basis. I always wonder how on earth you're going to tackle a disease like cancer, because it is, it is like thousands of different diseases is yeah
1: i I would say hundreds probably i mean there there, there's an extreme view that you know no two tumors are alike and you know i Mm. i I don't think that we need to um really go to that pessimistic uh of an extreme there are hundreds of different oncogenes
0: Mm. and
1: you know scores of different tumor suppressor genes but um you know so for example for skin cancer to, to to Stay on that topic. There's a common mutation called BRAF. Mm-hmm. And um but but because of the way the genetic wiring is, if there's a mutation in the EGF receptor or a mutation in the BRAF gene, they're pretty much going to respond to the same drugs because the same, you know, signal transduction pathway is activated. And so Right now, there's a lot of sequencing going on. So at an academic medical center like City of Hope, we're basically trying to sequence everybody's tumor. So somebody Mm -hmm. has a new cancer presentation, um, and and they get a biopsy, you know, with consent, it goes to a lab, you know, that sequences it. And at an increasing frequency, the sequences that are discovered. The mutations that are discovered are actionable. So, Mm. you know, 10 years ago, you could have done all the sequencing. First of all, it would have cost you a whole lot more to do the sequencing, and it would have been a very rare tumor for which you have an available agent. Mm. Now, probably a third or more of the time, um, after all that sequencing, there's something you can do about it because mm. you see, oh well, look at that. That has, you know, particular gene that is mutated. So even though that's let's say a pancreatic cancer, if it has a BRAF mutation, there is a drug that was developed against BRAF for melanoma that could work on that person's pancreatic cancer, right? Mm. And there's other cases where it's not a specific oncogene that indicates the sensitivity, but like a gene expression pattern that, you know, indicates a sensitivity or it could be, you know, the sample gets submitted to our NAD metabolomics lab and we determine the NAD level is low in that tumor and it could be targeted that way. So it's really, it's all molecular techniques. The Mm. pathologist's work is very, very different now. The pathologist Mm. used to be, a guy or gal and a microscope and slides, right? Light microscope and some, you know, some vital dyes. Doesn't work that way any, any longer. The, the pathology is really molecular pathology that involves genomics, transcriptomics, which means the RNA, it could be metabolomics,
0: mm. you know,
1: and other kind of omic uh, characterization that allows us to really Specifically classify tumors, and and match those tumors to um, to approved drug, approved or experimental drugs that uh, to which those cancer genotypes are highly sensitive.
0: Mm. Is that like I know every country is different, so you can only speak for the United States. But is that sort of level of detail? Is that now sort of standard procedure? I know nothing. So I'm quite yeah. Curious.
1: It's it's. Um, as I said, at academic medical centers yeah. that are connected, um, this is the way the new new cancer patients can can in fact be treated. Yeah. So this is this is I mean this is the the reason to go to a place like City of Hope, where you know um, this is the type of pathology that is done. It used mm-hmm. to be, you know, somebody would have... So, you know, you can just from your own experience, you might um, know two women that had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. In both cases, the pathologist said, you know, ductal carcinoma in situ DCIS, which is something that pathologists say. They could have been given the same exact chemotherapy, to which one of them responded and one of them didn't respond, right? Yeah. So why is that? Well, the answer is they didn't have the same disease. Yeah. You know, one of them had, you know, one set of oncogenes activated. The other had another set of oncogenes activated. So they presented under the microscope as the as a ductal carcinoma, right? But molecularly, they were different. So one of them mm. was killed by a particular drug and one of them wasn't killed by a drug. Mm -hmm. So, Mm. you know, one of the patients historically was given a a drug to which she was going to respond and, um, you know, the other one, you know, it wasn't, it's not going to be revealed until her tumor is sequenced that really she needs something that somebody initially developed as a melanoma drug, but because of the mutations in her tumor, it's going to respond to that. So that's, mm. that's the present at academic medical centers, mm-hmm. and it's certainly the future.
0: Mm. That sounds so much more hopeful, actually, than I suppose what you might believe or think if you're just kind of reading about kind of cancer um, metabolism and genomics and stuff. Of course, reading from a person who is completely ignorant in the area and is just like, whoa, that just looks so big. How on earth is someone going to tackle that kind of thing. Um, Dr. Brenner, what about diabetes metabolism? So what kind of work and stuff are you doing there in relation to NAD?
1: Yeah, so I think the key for type two diabetes is um, subclassification. Mm. So um, again, you see people that um, respond to one drug that don't respond to another. You see um, something called skinny diabetes, you know, you see different types of, of 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 presentations. So there's a lot of work that is going on in subclassification of type 2 diabetes in order to find, you know, in, in order to improve medical management. In terms of weight uh, management, 2021 mm. is actually an exceptionally important year because this is the year in which GLP-1 uh, receptor agonists were approved. Mm-hmm. Um, so semaglutide, for example, which I think is commercially known as Wigovi, Um this is something that is a weekly injection, but I think that they are uh, developing oral uh, formulations that curb people's appetite. And they mm-hmm. allow people to follow through on their intention, to their best intention to uh, lose weight. So in combination with uh, best available care and advice for weight management, which is try to eat less and move more, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, semaglutide allows people to succeed and you know lose 10, 15% of their body weight or more safely. And so with better weight management, there's much better, you know, diabetes control and diabetes reversal. So that's very exciting. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're still, you know, learning things from from model systems. Uh, we're interested in gestational diabetes. We're interested in pregnancy and postpartum and lactation, all as metabolic stresses that disturb the NAD system and the potential for NR to... Uh, support things like, you know, resolution of fatty liver disease, uh, Mm. improvement of weight loss uh, during postpartum, uh, improvement of lactation. And uh, in, in, in rodent systems, we see that NR not only boosts mom's lactation and accelerates mom's weight loss, but actually accelerates the neurodevelopment of the offspring. So NR is pretty exciting in terms of maternal health.
0: Dr. Brennan, as I understand it, you might be collaborating with Herman Ponser on metabolism. Am I, I heard that on a podcast. Is that, did I hear that correctly?
1: Herman is a phenomenal uh, scientist who's at Duke University. He's an mm. anthropologist um, as well I as to him actually. Have you you know uh, Dr. Ponzer? that's great. Mm-hmm. So he you know studied the Hansa you know, people in Af- Africa and and has has looked at um, human metabolism through the the life course. And um, we have some ideas about uh, accelerated human aging in um, metabolically stressed human beings, medically underserved people. You know, here in uh, greater Los Angeles, there's, you know, remarkably different, you know, health outcomes of... Mm -hmm you Know 60 year old people. So I just turned 60, right? Mm-hmm. And um, if I were to drive into sections of of Los Angeles, you could find people basically living out on the street, and you could find people living, you know, on the same block in, a, you know, in $3 million condos, right? Mm-hmm. And the differences in, in access to medical care would be huge, and the difference in really everything. And, you know, we are quite interested in whether the NAD NAD system is taxed in people that live outdoor and they're medically underserved. And, um, whether their overall metabolic rate has been disturbed due to their living conditions and and so forth, and so Herman Ponzer is a, is a person that I plan to collaborate with to try to address some of those questions and uh, see if we can, you know, we can improve this you know this world that that we live in, um, mm. in which there's not uh, equal opportunity
0: yeah that sounds awesome and it's um sounds like you've got some like really interesting sort of future research Things sort of yes. going on. It's interesting with Herman's research. I talked to him just as his paper was being published, looking at metabolism across the lifespan, and that, in contrary to what we might have believed about metabolism, for it to be fairly stable across the lifespan until about the right. age of sixty. And he did sort right. of note that you know hormonal changes and and things like that might potentially you know that. That would impact on on a person's metabolism, but it wasn't their metabolism per se. I think that's what he said. Um, that that necessarily slowed down. And of course, since NAD is almost like the basis of metabolism, or you know, yes. it's, you know, it's right. I, I wondered what sort of impact that might have, right?
1: And whether individual trajectories vary due to yeah. you know greater disturbances in the NAD system. we we're, we're asking exactly you know, those, those questions. Yeah. Everybody was really surprised, right? Because people, you know, experience, you know, weight gain, we used to say in the thirties, but now people talk a lot about it, in, in the twenties and, you know, the thing thinking was that, you know, that's when metabolism, you know, slows, but it, it turns out that metabolism is pretty constant up until mm-hmm. exactly my age of, of 60. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I definitely want to maintain my muscle mass and, and um, and and capacity uh, from here on out.
0: Yeah, um, just to finish off, Dr. Brenner, everyone is always really curious about what the experts do, you know, and then, you know, you've got all of this information and, and um, you've learned so much, you know so much about metabolism. I'm go- just going to assume that you take true nitrogen. I mean, if I was part of yes, um, I, I would, yeah. Um, in terms of your diet, do you do anything in particular based on what you understand of the research or anything? I'm
1: not an intermittent faster. You know, I'm a breakfast person. Uh, I get up in the morning, I have I have breakfast and coffee. And um, I probably don't, you know, eat real late. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't have a, you know, prescribed time window for, for eating. I'm not keto. You know, I'm neither... High carb nor low carb. Um, I I think you know physical and mental activity is really important. So mm-hmm. you know try to work out five or six uh, days a week to the point of you know breaking a a good sweat. Um, I like um, kind of muscle confusion. So I like trying new yeah. things. A few months ago, I joined a climbing gym, uh, you know, where I was a a rank beginner and things. I've also gone through periods in which I've done a lot of high intensity interval training. I've done hot yoga. So um, I, in my youth, I was a distance runner and, you know, tennis player. I love bicycling, hiking. So staying physically active is Mm. really, really important. Mm. Um, I think that being um, mentally engaged and socially engaged are really important. Prioritizing sleep is really important. Avoiding drugs and alcohol is demonstrably important. Handgun non-ownership is demonstrably important. Handgun mm. ownership is associated with with um, shorter lifespans. For you, yeah. For the owner, as as well as everybody around them. Getting vaccinated is really important. We've seen that in the last couple of years. And um, so a, a lot of it is kind of mom's advice, mom's grandmom's <laughs> advice of, you know, uh, do, doing things in moderation except maybe exercising in excess and um (laughs) i try to stay positive that's me Uh, some other people are sort of only happy when they're unhappy if that works for them that's great but um but i you know i'm not a i don't do rapamycin i don't do metformin i don't take drugs that are meant for people that are for you know Tissue takes. transplants, or for diabetics. I mean, I just don't think mm. that that is evidence-based for for longevity. Uh, I think that uh, NR could potentially, you know, imp- improve people's resiliency, um, but you know, it's it's not it's not like a miracle thing. It's it's something that works along with everything else that uh, a person is doing.
0: Mm. I often feel really sad when I. Uh, for the people who say they're trying to extend their life by eating, you know, a you know, Omed one meal a day or a
1: oh, one meal a day. Yeah, oh, your yeah, yeah. time
0: window mm-hmm. for eating is so short. Not for, short. Me. Not for no. me. Yeah, it, no, it, it, no. I'd
1: be miserable. I wouldn't be no. able to, you know, do the the intellectual or physical work that I do. And um and I you know, I, I think that if you look at you know calorie restriction literature mm. in in animals, think of what is the comparator group. The comparator group is a uh, caged, ad libitum fed animal, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not a, a that's not a wild condition. In wild condition, a mouse wanders around all night. They're nocturnal, so they they basically go miles all night foraging to acquire the energy that they need in order to be the same weight the next day. a caged animal with a big mountain of food is effectively overfed and so the calorie restricted comparator to the overfed animal you know subs- lives substantially longer. so people that are already fit you know and eating in proportion to their energy expenditure, you know, probably don't need to be calorie restricted, you know? And, and uh, so I, I always say compared to what, and, you know, if a person, so calorie restriction, you know, calorie restriction is the mechanism for weight loss, right? If you, if you, if calorie intake is less than, than uh, energy expenditure, then a person will, lose weight, whether that is, you know, uh, sustainable, given the, the diet and the the lifestyle that a person is leading is, you know, our, your mileage will vary. And that's mm. why, you know, semaglutide has helped people because it allows them to feel satiety um, and kind of like reset their, their satiety signals. So calorie restriction with respect to overeating is great, but Mm. it's not for me because, you know, I, I weigh what I feel like I should weigh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard you, um, I follow you on Twitter, which I find really enlightening actually, in terms of my understanding of the research, which I really appreciate. And I've heard you talk about that with calorie restriction before. And I thought, and, Mm. and it was again, enlightening when you sort of, you, you just kind of outlined what you just outlined there about the type of. Population that we're thinking about when we're looking at those mice in their cages being overfed. Right. Um, last question, Dr. Brenner, a bit of a selfish one on my part. And actually, you're probably going to tell me that well, you're biased because you're, you, know, you started the company or you're part of the company, but I'm a distance runner. It sounds like I would probably benefit from something like NR supplementation because of the meta- potential metabolic stress or out the sun or whatever. Um, would you agree with that?
1: I think that you could benefit. I mean, I know that a lot of athletes, you know, there are professional football players who are, you know, 22 years old that kind of swear by, uh, by NR. Um, mm. They're in, you know, a contact sport. But the, the common observation, not placebo control, peer reviewed, but the common observation is that there are improvements in recovery. From mm. um, hard workouts with um, NR supplementation, so that's an area where you know you might you might uh, feel feel a benefit.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and I did say that was the last question, but actually, very quickly, is there any research in neurological conditions with NR? There,
1: there are uh, uh, experiments that are ongoing, both in um, preclinically as well as human clinical trials. Um, There is protection in um, some models of Parkinson's, ataxia, telangiectasia, and um, some mitochondrial uh, Mm -hmm. diseases that affect the brain. Um, We did a study on diabetic neuropathy. Uh, There's a chemotherapeutic neuropathy study as well as a clinical trial. And there's clinical trials of mild cognitive impairment and... Uh, early alzheimer's and so forth so very exciting area of research and thanks for um following me on twitter folks can find me there at charles m brenner Mm -hmm. and i answer questions most every day on on twitter and um just try to do my best of you know conveying the science without being uh, a hypester and um wish everybody well
0: That is awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Brennan, for your time. I really appreciate it and um, really look forward to seeing sort of how the um, inner research sort of unfolds over the next few years.
1: Great. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, team hope you enjoyed that as much as i enjoyed bringing it to you and you might want to re-listen to some of that information too as i do with a number of podcasts where there's just all of these little nuggets that you just want to go back and really sort of get your head around so i'll include links as to how to connect with dr brenner on social media he's very responsive to messages and also where you can find more about him and the work that he does Next week on the podcast, we are chatting to Dr. Bill Campbell all about diet breaks and uh, fat loss, which is a one of the favourite topics of mine. Until then, though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Twitter and Instagram at Mickey Willardin Or over on my website, mickeywillardin.com, where in addition to that recipe portal access, you can also sign up to my athlete plan, real food nutrition plan, self-directed fat loss plans, or book a consult with me. And that's at mickeywillardin.com. All right, team, you have a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.